Right, so, out of all the people in this room, who's the greatest? If we all had to stand up and, and, and line ourselves up from the, the most important people to the most insignificant people in the room, uh, who would be at the top? Who would be at the bottom? And where would you be? said a little bit earlier, last week we began a new uh, series of sermons in Mark's Gospel, starting in uh, chapter 9, which is picking up where we left off last summer. And in that sermon last week, uh, we saw Jesus take three of his disciples up a mountain where he was transfigured before them so that they saw his heavenly glory. And a voice came from God saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. So it's obvious no one in the world can be greater than God's beloved son, Jesus. Jesus, who the disciples now know is the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed king. But the disciples have got to listen to him so carefully because what he has to teach them completely goes against all their assumptions about what makes someone great. His greatness isn't achieved by gaining status and taking power. Jesus' greatness will be achieved by serving and suffering. His path from earth to heaven is a path that's going to take him via the cross. It must take him via the cross. And what's true for him is true for his disciples to be first they too must become last. But it's a lesson that they'll struggle to learn. Uh, we're looking at chapter 9, verses 30 to 50 this morning. It'll help you to have it open. Uh, the page number is 1013. And we join the disciples on the sort of scenic route through Galilee to Capernaum. So often we've seen Jesus surrounded by crowds who want to hear him teach and see him heal people. But Jesus' focus now is just on his disciples. Have a look with me at verse 30 on the right-hand side of page 1013. Verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is uh, the second time now that Jesus has foretold his death and resurrection. It's full of irony. Because as the son of man, he, he's head of mankind, the greatest. But instead of welcoming him, one of us betrayed him and collectively we killed him. But there's also a hint in there that this is exactly according to plan where Jesus says he will be betrayed. That word betrayed also means handed over. It's a little bit ambiguous. It'll be Judas who betrays him, but it's his Father in heaven who will hand him over. Because unless God willed for Jesus to die for us, no one would ever be able to lay a finger on him. The cross is part of God's plan 
The reward for Jesus' crucifixion will be his coronation. But that completely goes against all natural assumptions about how somebody becomes great. So unsurprisingly, it says in verse 32, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus meant when he foretold his death and resurrection, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And here's the immediate proof they really didn't understand. As they're walking along, they get into an argument. And when they finally arrive at Capernaum, Jesus asks them, this is verse 33, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet. Because on the way, they'd argued about who was the greatest. They're still imagining that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crowned king. And since they're the chosen 12, when he takes the throne, the next most powerful person is going to be one of them. Imagine if you were one of the 12. Three years ago, you were what? You were a fisherman or a tax collector or something. And in no time at all, you'll be the second most important person in God's kingdom. It's a very desirable position. And they all think they're worthy of it. And so they end up in this argument about which of them deserves it most, with some of them clearly thinking they are greater and more important than the others. And it just shows that they're still not listening to Jesus. Jesus keeps telling them that the way to the crown is the cross. He wants them to understand that you have to suffer if you want to follow him to glory. But all they can think about is glory now without suffering. Which is the very thing the devil once offered Jesus in the wilderness in exchange for worshipping him. It's not the way. So what's Jesus going to say to them? Have a look with me at verse 35. Sitting down to show his authority, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. This is what they need to understand, and we need to understand it too. It's not an easy lesson to learn. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. To rank the first and be great in our world, what you need is, is money, fame, impressive achievements, an old school tie. Uh, you mustn't be too young or too old or too poor or too uneducated. But to rank first in Jesus' kingdom, what you need is humility, love and kindness. You mustn't be too self-centered, too proud or too arrogant. The truly great don't act like everyone should honor them. They put themselves last in order to honour everyone else. And it's so much better that way. Instead of arguments, rivalry, jealousy and ambition that makes you walk all over people, in Jesus' kingdom there is peace, inclusivity, gentleness. Now sadly, in the church, even in the church, we hear over and over again of ministers and congregation members with inflated egos who think everything should revolve around them. 
That's not how things work in Jesus' kingdom. You can be rich or poor, young or old, highly qualified or without an education. You can have a position of authority or have no status at all. But what matters is where do you place yourself in relation to others? In Jesus' kingdom, the greatest person of all is the person who dedicates their life to the good of everyone else. And Jesus himself is the supreme example. That's what he's trying to teach his disciples. He was in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is about to begin his final journey to Jerusalem to lay down his life for them. He's going to die so that their sins may be forgiven. And our sins too. And it's because he lowered himself so far that God then raised him up so high. And if the disciples can just understand this, then they'll stop looking for people who will serve them and start looking for people they can serve. And the same goes for us. The greatest people here in this room are the ones who put themselves last to serve everyone else. The ones who do that, well, they'll be the ones who've understood the cross. Now, having laid out this principle, Jesus gives his disciples uh, an example. Eventually, he's going to become the great example. But what he does right now is he, he grabs one of the little children running around in the house. Uh, and he puts him right in the middle of them, little boy or little girl. Now, in our culture, we think children are, are lovely and cute. So when a mum brings a new baby to little fishes on a Friday, uh, we all go over and we have a look and we think it's amazing. Uh, but the reason Jesus puts this child in front of them is because in their society, children were just insignificant. They were the opposite of great. And have a look what Jesus does. This is verse 36. First, it tells us he took a little child and had him stand among them. Then it tells us he took the child in his arms. In other words, he embraced him. In their society, children are pushed out to the edges. Jesus welcomes this little one in. And those who want to be great in his kingdom will do the same. When Jesus talks about putting ourselves last and serving everyone, he's, he's not talking about serving people it looks good to serve. He means making it a priority to serve the least, the last, the weakest, the ones society has left behind. In the world, if you're great, it's because everyone is beneath you. In Jesus' kingdom, if you're great, it's because no one is beneath you. And while that might look weak in the eyes of the world, it comes with a reward unrivaled by anything this world can offer you. 
verse 37. Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The reward for those who serve is fellowship with our Father. And there's no other way. We'd like to think that that by now would have set the disciples straight. Jesus has been pretty clear, uh, but the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can fathom it? They might have understood not to be rivals with each other now, but what about being rivals with people outside of their little group? Is that okay? Have you ever heard one group of Christians complaining about another group of Christians? Take a look with me at verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. A minute ago, each of them was saying, I'm the greatest. Now John is saying, well, we're the greatest. This man was casting out demons in Jesus' name, but apparently that's not enough. What matters most to John isn't believing in Jesus, but being one of the 12. How bad is that? Imagine a church where everyone is putting themselves last and serving each other, but where they also collectively think they're the best church around, better than everyone else, and the only true followers of Jesus. That would be the sort of church that thinks their way of doing things is the only way of doing things. That would be the sort of church that loves criticising other churches. I think we've probably got a few of those in Northern Ireland. So how's Jesus going to respond to this one? Have a look. You can turn over the page to verse 39. He says to John, don't stop this man. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Put simply, this man is on Jesus' side. And that's what matters. Not whether he belongs to the twelve. Not whether he belongs to St. Bridget's. That's a human way of thinking. What matters to God is whether he belongs to Jesus. If someone belongs to Jesus, not even the smallest act of kindness done to them in Jesus' name goes unnoticed. Verse 41, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name to you because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. See, what Jesus is promoting here is this attitude of generosity and welcome towards the exact sort of people that the world, even some Christians, consider unimportant. And we can only think and act this way when we remember that our King Jesus was a suffering servant who put himself last and even died for us. That's how much he loves us. And it's that love that makes him so serious as we come to the second half of our passage today, verses 42 to 50. Uh, yesterday I was over at the Lillian Bland Park uh, at the Great Glengormley get-together. don't know if you uh, uh, went along. Uh, and I was there uh, manning the stall uh, of the Newton Abbey Church's Fellowship. And a couple of teenage girls uh, came over uh, and I got a phone out with a picture on to ask if, uh, if I knew one of these street preachers that they'd come across the other day in Belfast. And at first I thought, oh, they're going to complain to me about him because street preachers don't always have a great reputation. 
Uh, their stereotype is they're all hellfire and brimstone. Uh, but you know, to be fair, that's not actually necessarily all that different from Jesus. So far he's talked about serving, but now Jesus teaches the disciples about sin and where sin leads to, which is hell. And he does it out of love though. He doesn't want any of his little ones to end up there. His first warning comes in verse 42, and it's about never causing others to sin or stumble in their faith. Verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied round his neck. Then if you imagine Jesus saying things like that, uh, a quick death by drowning, he says, would be far better than the judgment that will come on those who cause harm to God's children. That's how much he loves them. But as well as keeping others from falling into sin, as well as keeping others from falling into sin, we've got to watch out for ourselves. Jesus spends a bit more time on this. It's not just other people who can cause us to stumble and sin. We've got the capacity to do that to ourselves. And then it won't be someone else who gets judged. It'd be us. So we have a second warning about sin in verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It would be better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And he says the same thing about your feet and about your eyes. As you can think of your hands as representing the sins you do. Your feet, the wrong places they can lead you. The, your eyes, the wrong things you can look at and think about. And he says, get rid of them. But of course, uh, literally gouging out your eyes, it wouldn't stop you having sinful thoughts. What he's talking about is how serious you need to be about fighting your own sinful thoughts and actions. How serious I need to be, no matter what age you are, however long you've been a Christian, how serious you've got to be in the battle against your own particular sins. Because unchecked, sin can destroy you. You'll seem fine, but end up in hell, or Gehenna is the word, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You've got to be serious about your sin. He's saying it because he loves us. Now, I know a number of guys uh, I've spoken with in the past who they've not gouged out their eyes, um, but they have gone, for example, without internet access to prevent themselves looking at stuff that they shouldn't. Now, I've always been impressed by that. So if you're a young person today, to get rid of your internet on your phone, get rid of internet in your house, uh, that does feel like cutting off something you just can't live without. But what mattered more to them when they made that decision? What mattered more than their internet access was staying close to Jesus and entering the kingdom of God. And I think that's what uh, Jesus' words at the end of the passage are about. Um, I don't know if you've read these before. Kind of hard to understand. No one's 100% sure exactly what Jesus meant. Uh, but to get the gist of it, I think when Jesus, you see, if you look down, he talks about salt and fire. I think what he's saying is we need to be salty to be saved. Salt was sometimes associated with purity. Uh, in the book of Leviticus. You need to be salty, pure, to be saved. And a little bit of fire keeps you salty. 
a little fire now, a little pain now, to keep us from sin is worth it if it means we avoid eternal fire. And with that, we've reached the end of Jesus' time in the house with his disciples. So what have we learned? We've learned that we follow a suffering servant king. As his followers, our own life, therefore, is a life of suffering now in order to get the glory later on. And suffering now means putting ourselves last in order to serve others and receive God's reward and fighting sin hard in order to stay clear of hell and enter eternal life. And what's the alternative to those things? The alternative is to dodge the pain, go for glory now, and spend eternity in flames, as Jesus puts it. But thank God that Jesus loves us enough to warn us and loves us enough to teach us instead how to become like him, how to become truly great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the greatest and you humbled yourself the most so that we could join you in eternity as we follow you on the path through suffering into glory. May we have nobody who's beneath us. May we serve in order to be like you. And please help us in our struggle against our own sins to suffer in putting them to death so that we might enter life. We ask this in your great name. Amen.